B'Shem Hashem Na'asev V'Natzliach, Shul Torah, good to be here again. Nevin Torah, the Breslov Center, Baruch Hashem. We have a uh, one-of-a-kind event tonight. It's going to be a uh, two-part all-night shiur. Uh, we're going to do our regular shiur, which is usually a couple of hours, two to three hours, whatever it is. We're going to try to finish around 11.30. Uh, for the first part of the shiur, because more people are going to come here to do the tikkun of the night. Uh, and then we're going to move to the other room uh, and um, study the rest of the night. Now, the first part of the shiur is going to be regular. Same thing, you guys can say some things. I could go over the Mishnah and so on. The second part of the shiur is going to be um, a completely different shiur, Bochabah. It's going to be a completely different type of shiur, meaning it's the same Musar, same Torah, nothing really changes, except that we're going to go over the number one Musar book ever written in history. There is no Musar book that will ever be better, because this Musar book was written by God. So we're going to go over that, and that is Sefer Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy in English. I have no idea how they got the word Deuteronomy from Dvarim, but anyway, that's the way it's known today and to make sure that people know what we're talking about. Um, but the, uh, the first part, again, it's a Mishnah, uh, Avot, a lot of Chidushim Baruch Hashem, a lot of uh, very serious stuff, uh, things that uh, are going to make a difference of whether someone can live or die. Everyone always asks what's going to happen when Mashiach comes, the resurrection of the dead. How could it be that the sages in, uh, you know, that are mentioned in the Gemara, if they're mentioned by name, then that means that they were at the level of Kedusha, that they were able to revive the dead. Meaning, someone died. If Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Udanasi saw him, he died. He says, you know what? He deserves to live. He can say, pray to Hashem. One, two, three, he's alive. If he's mentioned in the Gemara by name, that means he had that power. His level of Kedusha was that high. If he did not have that level of Kedusha, his name is not mentioned in the Gemara. The name of that person is not mentioned in the Gemara. His Torah could be 100% right. His Torah is perfect. But they don't mention him by name. They say, someone said, or Talmud of someone said, this, this, and this. But they don't mention him by name. Why? Because even though he was tzaddik, chacham, kadosh, everything was great, wasn't at the level of a tana that could revive the dead, he cannot be mentioned in the Gemara by name. Now, this is a wonderful thing we've gone over several times in previous shiurim. Rav Mizrahi mentions it all the time. Other rabbinim always mention it all the time. It's an amazing thing. The question is, can you, you, you guys sitting right here, everyone sitting at home, can you revive the dead? Can you get to the level of a Tana? I'm asking a serious question. I'm not asking you guys just a comical question, just to, you know, you answer no. It's not a rhetorical question, no. Can you revive the dead? You. Can you revive the dead? Anyone? I heard somebody made a comment yesterday in the shield that we had online. He says he can move stuff. I don't know if he's joking or he's serious, but anyway, we're going a step le- a step higher. We're going higher than Kabbalah here. Can you revive the dead? The answer is actually yes. The answer is yes, and Bezat Hashem, by the end of the shoe, 
You're going to find out how. Now, to do it is not easy. But you can do it. Each and every single one of you sitting here, each and every single person watching online, every single person could actually do it. Revive the dead. I'm dead serious. It's not a joke. I'm not being, like, I'm not being comical. I'm being 100% serious. You can mamash revive the dead. Whether you have the merit to or not is a different story. But you can. So the first part of the shiur, first couple of hours is going to be finding out how can we revive some dead people. Starting with ourselves. The second part of the shiur is going to be all night where we're going to need extra siyata dishmaya to do something that to my knowledge hasn't been done uh, yet. Uh, where someone teaches Torah all night um, without stopping from 9 o'clock all the way to 6 o'clock in the morning. You do the math, 9 hours on live feed. Now maybe somebody did it, I just don't know. But we're going to try to do it, and hopefully, maybe somebody did it, I don't know. I know that we're going to try to do it. Obviously, it's all going to be a shame if we succeed. It's all going to be a shame if we fail, or our failure, really. We don't have the merit. Hashem decides whether we succeed or fail, but we're going to need some special miracles tonight to survive because, listen, studying on your own all night is not easy. Not easy. Studying with a few friends, it's a little easier. It's fun, you talk, you go outside, you smoke a couple of cigarettes, you eat, you drink, you go to the bathroom, take a nap here and there. But teaching, nine hours straight, I've never done before, so I can't even tell you how hard it is. So, Bezat Hashem, we'll see, we'll see, we'll succeed, Bezat Hashem. So, just like it's going to be hard for you, have mercy, it's going to be hard on me too. So the least I ask you to do is stick around and make sure that you realize that this is for Hashem. It's not for me. It's not for any, anyone else. This is for Hashem. And the reason why we do this is because tonight is Oshana Rabbah. Oshana Rabbah is the seventh day of Sukkot where Chazal says technically, if anyone knew in the Zohar Kadosh, it says that if anyone knew the significance of Oshana Rabbah, they would be more scared of Oshana Rabbah than Yom Kippur. Now most people, even if they don't keep Shabbat, even if they don't keep Tarat Mishpacha, even if they don't keep anything, they know Yom Kippur, serious business. Everyone knows Yom Kippur is serious business. Religious, not even going know Yom Kippur is serious business for Jews. But most people don't know that Oshana Rabbah Technically, it's scarier. And the reason why is because Judgment Day was Rosh Hashanah. We went, we prayed, we said, Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King, please save us. Rachem Aleinu, have mercy on us. If not as a Father, then as a King. If not as a King, then as a Father. Whatever you want, just do. Just have mercy on us. We're not Tzadikim, we're not Nebunim, but judge us like we are. Why? We're going to try better this year. We're going to try to do Tshuva. So what do you need to do, Chuba? I need more money, God. What do you need more money to do, Chuba? I need, I need, I need money. I need money. Okay, I need a new car. Okay, you need, what do you need a new car for the Chuba? I need a, car, a new, new car. Hashem, just, just help me out. I need a new car. I need a new wife. We already have one. No, no, I need a new wife. Hashem, I need this. This wife is not. It's not. I need a new husband. Why? You already have a husband. Yeah, but this husband is. Uh, he's not. He's not good. He's not good. I need a better, better husband, a richer one. 
I need a new this, and I need a new that. And you ask Hashem for non-stop requests on Rosh Hashanah. The ten days of tshuva, we read Avinu Malkenu. You ask him things that mamash, if anyone actually understood what they're asking for from Hashem during the ten days of tshuva, they should be embarrassed. I'm not joking. I'm not trying to insult anyone. I'm, I'm included in this. If anyone actually understood what you ask for Hashem to give you during the ten days of tshuva, you should be embarrassed. Why? Because we're saying, listen, we're not tzaddikim. We're not, we're not, we know. We're not uh, trying to uh, lie. But we want to be, katvenu besefer tzaddikim chasidim. We want to be written in the same book as the tzaddikim and the chasidim, the highest but if that's not if that's not enough, that's not enough. We want chayim tovim. We want good life. What's good life? Good life is a life with no problems. If that's not good, not enough, we want to be in a sefer yesharim utmimim. What's yesharim utmimim? Same book that Noach is in. We want to be in the same book as Noach. Ish ta'ish tzadik tamim. We want to be in the same book as Noach. We want parnasah kalkala, We want good livelihood, sustenance. We want you to forgive all of our sins. Want to see the Mashiach? All these wonderful things, and forgive everything. That's what we ask from Hashem. Hashem is our father, so he knows that his kids are a little ridiculous sometimes. But it doesn't matter. You are where his kids. But Chas v'Shalom, our request doesn't get answered. Hashem gave us the ten days of tshuva, and then Judgment Day repeated. The appeal process is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a time where we're crying to Hashem. Why? Because this, we know this is the, really the last chance. This is, we already got Shem and Achem, judge guilty. So we're trying to appeal. We don't want to go to jail for eternity. It's the appeal process. So that's when we start crying. In essence, you're really supposed to be crying on Yom Kippur. In today's world, people are embarrassed to cry in Beknesset. People are embarrassed to cry anywhere. But really, you're supposed to cry. Why? Because you're fighting for your life, really. That's, that's what, really what's happening. But today, instead of fighting for our life, many people are fighting for their, uh, who has the biggest wallet? Who has the nicest car? Who has the nicest house? So instead of saying, Avinu Malkenu, forgive us, Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu, they're too focused on talking in Beknesset about the deals they made, the deals they want to make. There's a lot of uh, joking around about Beknesset today, unfortunately. Sad, but it's a reality. So for this, Hashem gave us Oshana Rabba. Oshana Rabba is, Hashem is telling you, this is really your last chance. You already had two chances, and really you're out of chances. But technically, technically, the judgment hasn't been made yet. The stamp is not stamped yet. Even though everyone says Khatima Tova at the end of uh, Yom Kippur, and Gmar Khatima Tova, and this Khatima Tova, and that Khatima Tova, really, really? Zohar Kadosh says Khatima hasn't been made yet. The, the, the signature on the judgment has not been made yet. When is it being made? Tonight. It's being made on Hashanah Rabbah. It's being made on Hashanah Rabbah. Whether someone is going to live or die, whether someone is going to have panasa or not, whether someone is going to have final zivug or not, all the things that you asked for is being decided on Hashanah Rabbah. 
So the Zohar Kadosh says that if you really understood how much is on the line over this next 24 hours, you'd actually be more scared than you were in Yom Kippur. Because you don't have the same tefillot you had in Yom Kippur to help you. So this is why we take the Torah and we learn it. We take the Torah and we learn it all night because we try to emulate the angels. We try to look like angels. Angels don't eat, don't drink. They don't go to the bathroom. They don't hang out. They don't socialize. Angels just fulfill the will of Hashem. So we're supposed to fulfill the will of Hashem by learning Torah all night. So in case we're like at 49.5% our favor, 50.5% against us. That extra Torah over the next 24 hours, or really over the next 9 hours, 10 hours, is going to move it to our favor. That next 24 hours is going to help you get a judgment of Chaim Tovim. And Bezat Hashem will have the merit. So this is the reason why we study all night. It's not just because we're bored or we have nothing to do with our life. It's really mamash because it's pikuach nefesh. So I mentioned this in the previous year, but it's still worth mentioning again. The Shulchan Aruch, the Bet Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo says, if you didn't see your friend for a year, you didn't see him for a year, when you see him, if you like him, if you like your friend, if he's your enemy, you don't see nothing. But if he's your friend, or at least you haven't found out he's your enemy yet, if he's your friend, you like him, and it's the first time you saw him after a year, you have to say the bracha, what bracha? Mechia <coughs> metim. Revive the dead. That's the halacha, that Shulchan Aruch says, if you haven't seen your friend, in a year, you have to do the blessing of Machia Metim. Thank you, Hashem, for reviving the dead. Now, if somebody actually died and came back to life, they call it a near-death experience, or NDE, what do you say? You don't say Machia Metim. You say, thank you, Hashem, for taking me out of danger. The same blessing that you do if you flew from New York to Florida. If your life was in danger, you traveled a long journey, uh, almost a, a near accident, you just had a uh, surgery, anything like that where your life was on the line, you're supposed to go to Beknesset with a minyan, 10 people. Usually people do this on Shabbat, but really you should do it the next day uh, when you feel better. Uh, and uh, especially after women give birth, because every time a woman, a woman gives birth, even if it's an easy birth, it's still <laughs> technically her neshama was in danger. Her body was in danger, she was in danger. Gemarayim Masechet Shabbat says that every time a woman is in danger, uh, every time a woman is in uh, labor, that's when all the mekatrigim, all of the prosecutors against her, go to Shemaim and say, Hashem, no, this is the time. Look how many sins she made. Look how many sins she made. That's the time. So that's why every time a woman gives birth, she has to say, Thank you, Hashem, for removing me out of the danger. But the same thing if somebody got into an accident, but Baruch Hashem came out of it uh, healthy, after say Birkata Gumel. But if somebody went on vacation for a year, they went to Hawaii, they put Facebook Live once in a while, that, to show you they're in Hawaii. You did some Skype sessions with them. You know exactly where they are. They're having a good time, they're having a blast, but you didn't see them in person. 
But you know they're having a good time. They're not in danger. But you haven't seen them in person. If you see them in person after a year, you have to say the blessing of Machia Metim. Thank you, Hashem, for reviving the dead. So Rabbi Yosef Kao says, why? Why do you have to say that blessing? Because if you haven't seen them in a year, then definitely one Rosh Hashanah has passed. And if one Rosh Hashanah has passed, the fact that they're alive is a miracle. Because it's against nature for any one of us to survive Rosh Hashanah based on our sins. So each person that survives each year, it's mamash a miracle, it's mamash mercy from Hashem. People always ask, where's the mercy from Hashem? Where's the mercy from Hashem? The fact that you're still alive is mercy from Hashem. Why? Because technically, if He didn't have mercy, we make plenty of sins. Plenty of sins. Doesn't mean that He doesn't judge us. Doesn't mean that He doesn't punish us. It just means that if He sees that you have the potential to do tshuva, He gives you more time. Gives you more time. So, now you have Oshana Rabba, which is mamash, the time where you're going to get judgment in Shemaim. Bezat Hashem, it's going to be a favorable judgment for all of us. Bezat Hashem, it's going to be a good year full of Torah, mitzvot, gmiut chasadim. But the reality is, the same thing that got us into the Shulim in the first time is what we need to know, relearn again from Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov and what he says in the Mishnah Dalet Yud Gimel it says the following Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Omer Aoseh mitzvah achat Kone lo praktelit echad Vaover avera achat Kone lo kategor echad Tshuva umaasim tovim Ketris vipne apuranut so Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, he says the following, he who fulfills even a single mitzvah gains himself a single advocate. And he who commits even a single transgression, single sin, gains himself a single accuser. Tshuva and good deeds are like the shield against retribution. So again, like all of the other Mishnayot that we've read so far, the literal translation is relatively simple to understand, but the deeper meaning is what gets us going. By the way, anyone that wants to eat, feel free to eat. That's the point of the food. If it's going to help you stay uh, awake, if it's going to help you stay alert, if it's going to help you enjoy the shul more, go eat. There's no problem. That's the point where we brought it. Um, but don't socialize at the, uh, at the sushi. Hey, what did you think of the food? Yeah, take the food, eat, enjoy it. There's more food, there's more food uh, in the back uh, for the all-nighter. There's going to be snacks, there's more sushi, there's more, uh, I don't know, there's all types of food, Baruch Hashem. we got a lot of stuff to help everybody stay up. So I can watch you guys eat the whole night. So, <laughs> so Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov gave us a very simple Mishnah. And unlike most of the previous Mishnayot, where, like for example, the one we went over last night. The one we went over last night was broken up into multiple pieces. First, Rabbi Mir Balanes, which lived in the same generation as Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. That's why the Mishnayot follow each other. That uh, Chazal says that's one of the signs that they lived in the same generation, lived in the same time. So, Rabbi Meir had a Mishnah that broke up into multiple Lessons. 
So, here we go. The Yetzirah showed up to the Shiur, Baruch Hashem. The camera is upside down. It's good. This is how we know the Yetzirah is attended. It's good. It's amazing. It's mamash amazing how he does it every Shiur. He shows up. He tells us when he shows up. It's a... Uh, if anyone doesn't believe in Yetzirah, this is the perfect way to do it. Just watch the Shiurim, and you'll see Yetzirah attend. Okay, Baruch Hashem. Now we have a scheme now. Against the Yetzirah, we'll put things sideways. He wants to put it sideways, we put it sideways also. No, because I saw how uh, when the camera changes, it's very annoying to watch me like this the whole time. So, all right, so, Rabbi Meir gave us a few things. He said, limit your business activities, engage in Torah study, uh, meaning that no matter how much you work, your Parnassah will stay the same. Why? Because the side of the Rosh Hashanah, how much Parnassah you're going to get, until next Rosh Hashanah. doesn't matter if you have one job, two jobs, three jobs, four jobs. doesn't matter if you sell diamonds or you sell gold or you sell stocks or you sell Q-tips to hotel chains. makes no difference. makes absolutely no difference. Whatever your Hashem wants you to make, you'll make. There's plenty of people that work many, many hours and are poor. And there are many people out there that work very few hours and are rich. Why? Hashem decided this one will be poor no matter how much he works. And this won't be rich no matter how much he works. So Rabbi Meir is already telling you this in a very simple way. Don't waste your time overworking. Do the bare minimum of what you need to do. Why? Because in reality, you're supposed to learn Torah. That's the first lesson in the Mishnah of last night. Second lesson was, be humble of spirit before every person. Meaning, just because you're learning some Torah, doesn't mean that you should show off that, oh, I know more than you. Chas v'shalom, that's against the Torah. Next thing is, If you've neglected Torah, then you'll have many excuses to neglect it. Meaning if you're, instead of learning Torah, you're answering the phone, you're answering your text message, you're uh, doing a lot of different things that you're not supposed to do during the time you're supposed to learn Torah, you'll never run out of excuses and eventually it's going to get to a point where Hashem could punish a person to such an extent that He won't allow him to learn Torah until he goes to a serious tikkun. Meaning, every time he opens the book, he falls asleep instantly. He can't learn. So this is actually a real punishment uh, for Bitul Torah. And then, last but not least, he says, If you've labored for Torah, if you've worked hard to learn your Torah, Hashem has ample reward for you. And Chazal explains it's both the reward in this world and the next, even though the majority of the reward, or the real reward, is in Olamba. But here we see the last night's Mishnah and pretty much almost every single Mishnah before tonight, the sage that talks about the Mishnah gives you multiple lessons in the Mishnah. It's not one thing. A bunch of things you can learn from this one Mishnah. He breaks it up. But Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, no, there's only one lesson I want to teach you. There's really one point. It's all, all of it is connected. It's not broken up. You can't break it up. It's one piece. If you do this, you'll revive the dead. If you do what he says, completely, not just like joking around. If you do what he says, you can get to a point where you could mamash revive the dead. One lesson. Now, before we listen to this Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, because it sounds kind of extreme. Let's see who he is. Now, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov was, like I said, lived in the same generation as Rabbi Meir Balanes. 
In the Gemara Maseret Gitin, page 64a, it says something extraordinary about Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Something that it doesn't say about many other sages in the Torah, including Rabbi Meir. Even though Rabbi Meir, most of our Torah that we have today, most of it is from Rabbi Meir Balanes. He was one of the five students that uh, restarted the Torah with uh, Rabbi Akiva. And you see, in almost every subject in the Gemara, Rabbi Meir has an opinion. In almost every single one. <coughs> but, even though he's one of the main contributors to Agmara, Allaha does not always go to him. Allaha, one second, we're having a little technical difficulty here. Satan is... Improved, new and improved. Never had internet problems until now. So, apparently I upset him. I upset the Satan. Oh, see? Dropped off. Okay, Allah. Part two. Oh, Hashem. We're just having some technical difficulties and we're starting. One second. Okay. Start live. Okay. Okay, so, Baruch Hashem, with the technical difficulties continuing. Um, so, Rabbi Eliezer... Ben Yaakov lived in the same generation as Rabbi Meir Balanes, but even though Rabbi Meir Balanes contributed in almost every single Mishnah, in almost every single Gemara, in almost every single subject in the entire Torah, Rabbi Meir Balanes contributed his opinion, but the Alakha does not go like Rabbi Meir all the time. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. There's a few people, like Rabban Gamliel, where the Gemara says, anytime Rabban Gamliel says an opinion, Allah is like him. So there's a few people that have that. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov in the Gemara Masechet Gitin, page 64, it says, any place that Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov states Allah, he's correct. He's right. Allah is like him. Why? His Torah was correct. Meaning, no opinions. What he says, that's Da Torah. That's Mount Sinai. There's no second, there's nothing else. You can't dispute him. He says it, that's it. And this is in 122 different alachot. 122 times that he's mentioned, which is not many, considering how many alachot we have. Anyone that looked, for example, uh, through the alachot of Shabbat, if you're Sephardic, then you're looking through Yalkut Yosef. It's a book that Rav Ovadia, Zecha Tzadik started, and then he let his son, Rabbi Tzchak Yosef, continue it. The series, the... the uh, Rishon Letzion right now is Rabbi Tzach Yosef. He continued it, and you have a collection of Yakut Yosef. And now, Baruch Hashem, they've uh, completed, I would say, a little more than half of the collection is a translation to English. It's a very, very, uh, you know, extraordinary uh, series, and it makes it simplifies all the halachot. Now, many people, Baruch Hashem, listening to the shiurim, I mentioned it a few times, and they started buying the Alachot Shabbat. Alachot Shabbat section is three books. Now, each one of these books, you see there's hundreds and hundreds of Alachot. 
And this is just about Shabbat. We're not talking about kosher. We're not talking about tarat mishpacha, tzitzit, tefillin. This is just Shabbat. Hundreds of halachot. Tefillin, for example, has over a thousand halachot. So when you say 122 halachot Rabbi Eliezer contributed to, initially it sounds like a lot. Wow, 122. But in reality, it's not that many. It's not that many. Which shows that Rabbi Eliezer, he doesn't speak often. He doesn't speak often. But when he does, he's right. Imagine that. Imagine you didn't speak much, but whatever you said was right. We're wrong half the time. We still think we're right. So Rabbi Eliezer, everything he said was right. So, when he, whatever he's telling us right now is alakha. It's not an opinion. It's not a nice strategy. This is alakha. This is what the Gemara says. This is what the Shulchan Aruch says. This is well, everything he says right here. This is Mount Sinai. This is, we're all at Mount Sinai right now. This is what God said. What did he say? Anyone who fulfills one mitzvah. Chabot, chabot, eat, eat, please. Anyone, don't fear. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. I brought the food for you guys to eat. Um, listen, somebody has to eat it. So, please. Somebody has to eat it, eat. Doesn't bother me. Um, no, but the socializing you can't do. The eating, yes, the chinos. So, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov is telling us something that seems relatively simple, but at the same time he's telling us something that could mamash get us to the highest level we could possibly imagine that until now we didn't think was possible in our generation. So he says the following. He says, if you make one mitzvah, you fill one mitzvah, we're not talking about 10 mitzvot, 20 mitzvot, gdolador, you learn the entire Torah by heart. No, no. He says one mitzvah. One. Just one mitzvah. Any mitzvah. Pick a mitzvah. Tzitzit, tefillin, limut Torah. Whatever you want. Any mitzvah. Baruch Any mitzvah. You learn one mitzvah. One mitzvah. That mitzvah creates an advocate for you. What does it mean, an advocate for you? What does an advocate mean? Chazal explains it creates something called a sanegol. A sanegol is an angel the vouchers for you in Shemaim. On the other hand, if a person makes a sin, he creates himself an accuser. Chazal says, what is this accuser called? A katego, a prosecutor. So in the, uh, in the Gemara, it talks about when somebody gets in, uh, gets to the heavenly court in Shemaim. No one is surprised. There's no surprises in judgment. Why is there no surprises? Because all of the Sanegos and the Kategos that you've created your whole life are right next to you. And they talk for you. So the first one says, Hey, I'm the one that he created when he ate pig. I'm the one that he ate, that he uh, created when he ate pig with cheese. I'm the one that he created in pig and cheese on Yom Kippur. I'm the one that he did when he turned on the car on Shabbat. I'm the one that he created when he turned the radio on Shabbat. I'm the one that we created when he pressed the gas on Shabbat. And these are my friends for the rest of the ride. 
And ta 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 ta, and you have mamash millions and zillions and zillions of prosecutors against you. So you can't say, no, no, I didn't do it. You can't say, I didn't do it. Why? They're right next to you. That's the evidence. You gave them life. You're their father. You're their mother. This is a problem. You can't lie in Shemaim. You can't sweet talk. Same token is with the Senegal. The Senegal is one. Each time you make a mitzvah, you create an angel that vouches for you. I'm the one that he created when he laid filin. I'm the one that he created when he read one word in Torah. Each word in Torah has a few letters. Let's say uh, average word has four letters. Average word in Torah is four mitzvot. So each, each time you read one word in the Torah, on the average you're creating four angels. You read Parashat Shavuah, that's why it's Alakha, by the way, in Shulchan Aruch, that you have to read the parasha twice and then once with commentary, every week. This is also why we say Shema Yisrael several times a day because it's coming from the Torah. These are psukim from the Torah. Hashem wants you to create angels even though you don't even know they exist. Because you're going to need them. You're going to need them. Now, this story I heard maybe five, six years ago but I heard it again today. And it hit home even more today than it did back then. There was one time a guy, he had three friends. One friend was like his best friend. He spent all the time with him. All the time they'd go on vacation together, they go to work together, they hang out together. Best friend all the time they were together. Another friend, they weren't as close. Weren't as close, but he was with them a bunch of time. The third wasn't really a friend. He was like an acquaintance. He would visit him once in a while. Once in a while, whenever he like, didn't have anything to do, whenever the first guy was busy, the second guy was away, all right, I'll hang out with the third guy. So this is three friends that this guy had. Now one day this guy gets in tr- into trouble. Oh, here we go. Oh, okay, Baruch Hashem, Satan left. We had uh, technical difficulties. So one day the, uh, the guy gets in trouble, and he's scared. Why? Because the guy into a major, major problem. And it could be that he can go and actually get the death penalty. I had a friend, real life story, was a major executive in a uh, big energy company. Made a fortune, hundreds of millions of dollars. Retired thinking that he's on top of the world. He's in his prime. Has tons of money in the bank, more than what he knows what to do with. One day, he goes to uh, pick up his friend from the airport because that's apparently what friends do for each other. They pick each other from the airport, even though there's taxis and things you can pay for, but I don't know, for some reason people like to pick up other people from the airport. By the way, if I ever come to your town, don't pick me up from the airport, just if you want, pay for the cab. It's a complete waste of time to pick up people from the airport. It's double way you waste time, and it doesn't cost any less. You still have to pay toll, you still have to pay parking, you still have to pay gas. I don't know why people do it. But anyway, such is life. Um, people always ask me, oh, can you give me a ride to the airport? No, I'll give you money. Give you money for the airport, whatever it costs, I'll pay for the cab, I'll never take you to the airport. No, but what? No chance. Why would I waste three hours of my life taking you to the airport? I just gotta pay a guy, takes me 30 seconds, you're in the airport, save myself three hours of my life. My three hours are worth more than the 50 or $100 that it cost. So anyway, this guy was very, very rich, apparently didn't have anything to do, so he wanted to pick up his friend from the airport, but... On the way to the airport, the guy in front of him stopped short on the highway and he was going really fast, so he hit him. 
He hit him in the back, stopped, pulled over. He got hurt. Then he goes. They go to the front of where the uh, the guy is. The guy that stopped short in the highway died. Old man died. Now what's the case? Did he die before he hit him, and that's why he stopped short in the highway? Oh, thank you. It's going Or did he die from the hit? This was a major case that took millions of dollars, tons of time, and everything was on the line for this guy. So all the money in the world that he had was worthless now. Why? He could spend the rest of his prime years in jail. Because they were trying him for murder. They were trying him for murder. He got released. Everything was good. He got, uh, they determined that the guy died before he hit him. But the point being is that all the money in the world couldn't help him at that point. It was just Hashem deciding whether he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail or not. So this guy that's in the story, we just forgot about the story. We're back in the story now. So this guy that was in danger, on a similar situation, he's in danger, and he calls his friends. First guy calls his best friend, the one he's hanging out with every single day, for years. It's like, hey, buddy, listen, I have this big case. I got a trial. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to convict me. I don't know if they're going to... I didn't do it, I promise. But I need some support, some moral support. What does his friend say? This best friend, this BFF that he spent all these years with. I'm sorry, buddy. I can't go. I'm busy. I can't go. No, but come on. You're my friend. You're my boy. For years we've been together. We're like this. Come with me to the case. I'm not asking you to fight for me. I'm not asking you to give me money. I'm just asking you to just be there for moral support. Sit in the court. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm busy. I can't go. What a letdown. This is worse than the case. This is worse than being convicted guilty. So what does he do, Miss Ken? He calls the second guy. The second guy that, you know, he hung out with once in a while. He says, listen, my friend didn't come through. Can you help me out? Can you give me some moral support? Can you come with me to, to the, my big case? They may convict me. I may be guilty. I may not live leave. It's a problem. What does the second guy say? The second guy says, listen, I can come with you, but all the way to the courtroom. Once you get to the courtroom, I, I'm leaving. I'm not going inside. I'll give you a ride to the airport. I'll give you a ride to the airport, but I'm not going inside. I'm not flying with you. I'll take it. What are you going to do? I'll take it. But I still need somebody to give me some, like, chizuk when I'm in the court. I'm crying, something. So what does he do? He calls the guy he hasn't talked to in months. The guy that he was an acquaintance with. Once in a while, we'd visit him. Hey, listen, I'm in trouble. Hey, we're in trouble? Where are you? I'll be there. No, no, I got a case. No problem. I'll be there. Tell me where it is. I'm there. I'll be with you throughout the whole case. I'll even vouch for you. I'll write a letter for you. All of a sudden, this acquaintance that he didn't even know he was friends with is writing letters for him. He's vouching for him. He's fighting for him. Your honor. He's a tzaddik. He didn't do it. Well, you know what he did? No, but I know he didn't do it. He's a tzaddik. It's a... This guy got the surprise of his life. Best friend didn't show up. The middle guy gave him a ride. The guy that he was like friendly with, the guy he was like friendly with is like writing letters on his behalf. Surprise. What's the biggest surprise? The biggest surprise is the story is about us. This entire story is about us. How is it about us? A guy invests all of his time with his best friend. What's his best friend? Money. 
his job every day chases money every day he goes to the drugstore and sells drugs he goes to the muffler store to sell mufflers he goes to the diamond store to sell diamonds and he spends overtime to save for a vacation he's never going to take and he spends extra time to build a company he doesn't need and he spends extra time to build another house that he doesn't even want and he's there overtime and overtime and overtime and overtime he spends all of his time there that's the best friend but on judgment day when a person goes to shamaim after 120 a person comes to shamaim hashem says i'm sorry you can't bring your money with you. It can't come. What do you have? A million? Five million? Ten million? Twenty? Thirty? Fifty? A hundred million? It all stays behind. You can't bring it with you. All of it stays behind. That extra big house that you just built an extension for stays behind. The big bank account with the 401k next to it stays behind. That's the best friend you spend all your life with, right? It stays behind. It can't come to court with you. Who's the second guy? Second guy gave you a ride. That's the family. Family, you spend a little time with them, an hour here, an hour there, like you're doing them a favor. No, what do you mean? I was home for eight hours last night. Yeah, but you slept seven and a half. You ate dinner, you went to sleep seven and a half hours. You, you count that as being home? But they're going to give you a ride to where? To the funeral. Someone dies. They're about to meet their maker. What happens before? The body goes to the funeral. They're going to give you a right to the funeral. It's the least they can do. It's the most they can do. They can't come with you to Shemaim. They can't come with you to Shemaim. But who's your best friend? Who's the guy that's vouching for you? Who's the guy that came through and you didn't even spend any time with him at all? Once in a while you did him a favor. That's Torah. That's mitzvot. Once in a while you did a mitzvah by accident. You create an angel. Once in a while, you late feeling on time. You know, before 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, like on time in the morning when the rest of religious people do it in the morning. Once in a while, you do it right. You get an angel. You get a mamasha, right? An angel. What is he doing in Shemaim? Oh, you're in trouble? I'm writing a letter for you. What? What happened? He's Sadiq. Hashem is Sadiq. What do you mean Sadiq? Look what this guy. No, no. Hashem is Sadiq. He's Sadiq. He's vouching for you. That's what this Mishnah is telling Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov is saying that one that you don't spend any time with. That's who's going to vouch for you. Your money, your family, your friends, your everything else can't do nothing for you. Can't do nothing for you. Nothing. I heard a story five, six years ago. It hit the spot back then, but today it hit more. You know, you repeat. It's one of the things you're supposed to do to learn Torah. You repeat. You go over things. And every single time you go over Torah, the second time is better. The third time is better and it keeps getting better. That's the beauty of Torah. So there's also another story about um, Rabbi Yosef Karo. Rabbi Yosef Karo, it's known, he, has, he wrote the Shulchan Aruch, but there's also another book that he wrote that was like, in essence, like his journal. Why did his journal became so famous? Many little girls write journals. It doesn't become famous, unless like Anne Frank or something like that. For the most part, if you have a daughter, she writes a journal. At some point it goes in a trash or in some, I don't know, safe that no one's ever going to open, as a uh, sentimental uh, journal that no one's ever going to read. But in reality, it's never going to become famous. 
Rabbi Yosef Karo's journal became famous. Why did he become famous? Because in his journal, he wrote who his best friend was, who his chavruta was. Who was it? The angel. He had an angel, that was his chavruta. And the angel's name was Magid. That's the angel's name. angel's name was Magid. So one day, he writes in his journal, he says that at night, the angel would come to him at night. This is the Baal Shulchan Aruch. It's not a crazy person. This is a tzaddik, Yesod Olam. This is one of the greatest minds and people that ever lived in history. He wrote Shulchan Aruch, which is the book of laws of all of Judaism. We base everything on him. He took it from the Rambam, the Rambam took it from the Gemara. But the point is that what we have today is from him. This is not a uh, just some guy. Whoever doesn't know who Rabbi Yosef Karo is, like I didn't know who he was initially, and then eventually he learns, like, oh, this is the Moshe Rabbeinu of his generation. So he was at the level where he had a chavuta of an angel. We could barely spell the word angel, because sometimes we spell angle instead of angel. He actually had a chavuta of angel. So now he writes in the book, one time the angel came to me, came to me at night, and he rebuked me. Why did he rebuke me? He says, why didn't you learn Musar today? You're supposed to learn at least two hours of Musar a day. Rabbi Yosef Karl has to learn two hours of Musar a day. A person that has an angel as, as, as a Chavuta had to learn Musar two hours a day, and the angel rebuked him because he didn't learn full two hours. If Rabbi Yosef Karl had to learn two hours of Musar a day, we should learn 200 hours a day. We should pray instead of Hashem, judge us like the Tzadikim, like the Tamimim, you know. Judge us, just give us 200 hours a day so we can learn Musal. Not 24 hours. So we can catch up to Rabbi Yosef Kao. So he says the angel rebuked him because he didn't study a full two hours. That was one of the times. Another time he was learning and he had tefillin on. Now it's a known thing that when you have tefillin on, you cannot fall asleep you cannot, you know, use it, go to the bathroom with it. It says in the Gemara, if you have, if you have to go to the bathroom, you have to take them off, you put them on the side. Um, you can't pass gas, say, uh, which, believe it or not, is a problem for some people. Uh, Gemara Masechet Shabbat talks about it. Uh, it's a very big problem if somebody passes gas when they have tefillin. This seems like a, like a silly thing, but it's a reality, especially for little kids that don't know yet. 13, 14-year-old kid doesn't know it's a big deal. Sometimes adults don't think it's a big deal. If they don't learn Musar, they don't learn ethics, they don't think it's a big deal. But when you have tefillin on, in essence what you're doing is that you have a, a direct phone line open with Hashem. Skype. Hashem's in front of you, it's connected, Direct line. It's right in front of you. You see it or not, don't see it. It's your problem. But he's there. So, when you're laying tefillin, you can't even get to a point of thinking about anything else other than Kedusha. Other than holy things. You can't think about the stock market. You can't. A lot of people socialize with tefillin on. Hey, what do you think? What are you doing today? What do you think of the real estate market? What do you think of the stock market? What do you think of this market? What do you think of this girl? What do you think of this shiduch? What do you think of this guy? Like all of that stuff... Now to do. You're only allowed to think about Torah when you have tefillin on. Either prayer or learning Torah. And the sages in the days of the Gemara used to wear tefillin all day, which means they literally learned Torah. They had Torah in their, on their mind at all times. So Rabbi Yosef Karo one time was learning Torah 
And suddenly, his head tefillin break, they get, or the, uh, the strap breaks, and it falls on the floor. Now, this is not a strap made of paper. This is leather. Leather doesn't just break. So it's almost like someone cut it. But there's no one there. And he was really in a lot of sorrow, started mamash doing tshuva, cried because having tefillin fall on the floor is like sefer Torah fall on the floor. You have to fast. It's a problem. At night, his friend, the Magid, the angel Magid, says, oh, you cried today, huh? Yeah, yeah, I cried. Why did you cry? Because your tefillin fell on the floor. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know. I know you know. Okay, fine. I, I, I cried because, because I did it. I cut the feeling. I made them fall on the floor. You know why? Because for a moment, while you were studying Torah, you weren't thinking about Torah. You weren't thinking about Hashem. You were thinking about something else for a moment. And that moment you didn't think about Hashem and this Torah caused Hashem more sorrow than the tefillin hitting the floor. So I cut it to give you sorrow. You deserve it. So there's a price to pay when you have an angel as a chavuta. That's what he wrote in his journal. So here we see we have sometimes angels that we create we don't see. Rabbi Yosef Kawa was able to see it. Now, when a person makes this mitzvah, he makes this himself an angel that's going to help him. This is the one mitzvah that can take him, take him to the positive side. Because the Gemara Masechet Kiddushin, page 40b, says that each person is supposed to judge himself as if he has 50-50. Meaning he's even. The next mitzvah or the next avera takes him to the positive or the negative side. And since kol Yisrael Aravim Zelazeh, all of Israel are reliable on each other, they're all relying on each other, they're all dependent on each other, that means that your next mitzvah or your next avera could literally take the entire nation to the positive or the negative side. So that one angel that you create as a positive or a negative effect on the on you and also on the entire nation. So there's a lot on the line here. Now on the other hand, when you're making a sin, most people think that sins are not relevant to today anymore. We're such a weak generation. Who here didn't hear about how weak this generation is from some rabbi? Every rabbi usually starts to lecture with, oh, this is a weak generation. Weak generation, weak generation. We get to a point sometimes where we think we're so weak, we shouldn't do anything. But in reality, the Torah that we got on Mount Sinai is the same Torah. Nothing changed. Absolutely nothing changed. And Resh Lakish says in Gemara Baba Batra, page 16, it says that the Satan is also the Yetzirah, and the Yetzirah is also the Malach HaMavit. Meaning that first the Yetzirah comes to you and tells you, listen, go look at that girl. Yeah, but she's not my wife. Go look at her anyway. Who cares? No one's going to see. I'm, it's okay. It's okay. Don't. Go look. The rabbi's not here. 
Go look, go look. Yitzhak convinced you to go look at the girl you're not allowed to look at. Yitzhak caused you to do something nasty to your wife. Yitzhak caused you to overcharge your customer. Yitzhak caused you to do something against Hashem. After you do it, you fall for it because he convinced you. What does he do? He goes to Shemaim and he says, Hashem, look, 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 look what he did. Look what he did. Look what he did. He's looking at the girl. He's looking at the girl. That's Satan. That's Satan. He goes and he tells on you. After he convinced you to go do it, he goes, oh, look, Hashem, look at this Rasha. Look what he's doing against you. Look, Hashem, you're watching Hashem? Like Hashem doesn't know. You're watching Hashem? You're watching this guy? That's Satan. That's called Mastin Alav. And after Hashem said, oh, okay, you know what? That's it. We're finished. Rosh Hashanah passed, Yom Kippur passed, Rosh Hashanah Rabbah passed, judgment, negative. I'm sorry, my friend. We have to deliver a judgment, Hashem Elachem. He says to the Malach HaMavet, go do what you do. Who's the Malach HaMavet? The same one that convinced you to make the sin in the first place and the same one that told Hashem. Malach said it's all the same thing. But in reality... You are the one that gave him power. By, by himself, he doesn't have any power. You're the one that gave him power. By making different sins that open the door for him. Every time you make a sin, every time you listen to him, you give him more power. Now, Meiri and Midrash Shmuel say that this specific Mishnah that talks about, first of all, but how every single mitzvah makes a positive angel, every sin makes a negative angel. This is the proof, this is the source that we use that there's no such thing as this is a weak generation and if you make sins, Hashem is just going to let it go. Me'ili and Midrash Shmuel written hundreds and hundreds of years ago are telling you what people say today, it's complete nonsense. It says, this is the Mishnah that proved it's nonsense. Because if a sin created a negative angel, a bad angel, a prosecutor, 2,000 years ago, it still does it now. If it creates a positive angel, it's going to be a defendant for you, it still does it now. This is the proof that there's no get-out-of-jail-free cards with Hashem. There's no such thing... Hashem just says, you know what, just do whatever you want, no big deal. You're in a weak generation, go, drive on Shabbat, eat pork, go out with a non-Jew, marry them if you want, waste seed, do whatever you want. Why? You're in a weak generation, don't worry, everybody has Olam Abba, don't worry, don't worry. It's true that everyone has Olam Abba, the problem is there's two sides to Olam Abba. One side is hotter than the other. That's a reality. There is Olam Abba for everyone. It's just that one of them is hot. And there's no air conditioner. The Baal Shem Tov, one time, came to one of his opponents, somebody that used to say Lashon about the Baal Shem Tov, and he came to him and he said, how could you say Lashon inside your sukkah? It was Sukkot. It happened to be Sukkot. So how can you say Lashon Ara on Sukkot, inside your Sukkah? We just had Yom Kippur. We just had Rosh Hashanah. We, I mean, how can you say inside the Sukkah? You're saying Lashon Ara? 
the guy that said Lashon Hara was also a rabbi. He was in shock. How do you know? How do you know? Who told you? He says, what do you mean who told me? The angel told me. Because since when do angels speak Lashon Hara? Meaning the angel saying that I said Lashon Hara, that would actually be Lashon Hara. If, let's say, for example, somebody says something negative. Somebody says something negative. Even if it's true, he says something negative, and you heard it. And you go tell the other person, hey, uh, Mr. Uh, So-and-so, this guy says something negative about you. There's a possibility, a likelihood, that what you're doing is actually Lashonara, unless you're protecting them. Unless you're protecting them. Because what the other person said could cause damage. If it's just, ah, this guy said you're ugly, this guy said you're fat, this guy said you're, I don't know, a fool, you telling him is not useful at all, it's Lashonara. But you telling the other person, it's Lashonara. You're not allowed to do it. So there's laws of Lashonara. But the point is, is that these angels telling the Baal Shem Tov what this other guy said, it's Lashonara. So they said, who, who, since when do angels say Lashonara? He says, oh, when you said Lashonara inside your sukkah, you created an angel. That angel came to me and told me you created him by saying Lashonara about me. And just like the creator of the angel doesn't care about making sins, neither does the angel that he created. He also doesn't care about making sins. He also doesn't care about making Lashonara. The child is the same thing as the father. That angel is considered a child. The fact that Baal Shem Tov was at such a level that he was able to see somebody else's angels is a different story. But nonetheless, we see here that this is very much a real uh, part of Judaism. It's not just fairy tales and stories. Some people don't like to believe this stuff. They say it's too mystical, but that's their problem. One of the biggest things that's hard for people to understand is that sometimes there are rules in Torah that are black and white. Black and white. There's no, uh, there's no if, ends, or buts about it. You're not allowed to drive on Shabbat unless it's for pikuach nefes. Unless you're saving a life, unless you're driving to the hospital, you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat. You're not allowed to drive to the Knesset. You're not allowed to drive to your parents' house. You're not allowed to drive to make your wife happy. You're not allowed to drive on Shabbat. This is a black and white rule. There is no exception, except if it's a life risk. There is also certain things, certain black and white rules in Judaism that there is no exceptions around them. There is no, there's no leniency. So sometimes when you tell people about these things, they think that you are a machmil, you are stringent, and everyone else, all the other rabbis that don't say anything, they're more lenient than you. But the truth is, is that you're telling them what the actual halacha is, black and white, and all the other rabbis just didn't tell them, for different reasons. Sometimes they're scared of them, sometimes they don't care, sometimes they're evil. There's many, many reasons of why someone's not going to tell you the truth. Point being is that there are certain things that are black and white. One of the biggest things that is black and white is Jewish education. 
Jewish education. Now, when you tell somebody, listen, to send your child to public school, to American public school, is worse than murdering him. Worse than murdering him. Why is it worse than murdering him? Because in essence, you're guaranteeing the kid, unless by some major miracle, no less than Rabbi Yosef Kahlo's angel that was his chavuta, the kid is going to become a goy. The kid is going to be just like his friends. He's going to be surrounded by kids that are not keeping Torah, not keeping mitzvot, many of them are not even Jewish. He's going to befriend them. He's going to want to be like them. Everybody wants to be like their friends. If they don't want to be like their friends, they're not friends. People hang out with people that they want to be like, that they can relate to. So a parent sending their child to public school, they're pretty much destroying them. It's a black and white rule. There's no like if, ends, or buts. There's no like, no, no, he's going to get his rabbinical teaching at home with a private tutor. No such thing. Even if he has Moshe Rabbeinu come to his house, teach him Torah after school, still not allowed to go to public school. To such an extent that Rav Nisim again, Zechat Tzadik says, it's better your son dies than you send him to public school. It's better he dies. That's how bad. It's a black and white rule. But sometimes people make exceptions when there's no room to make an exception. There's no room to make an exception. So there are other parts of Judaism that are not so Jewish. For example, there's some people that call themselves Reform, Reform Jews, or Conservative Jews, or Open Orthodoxy, or Messianic Judaism. All of these things call themselves Jewish, but they have nothing to do with Judaism. Some of them are actually, you know, have mothers that are Jewish. But as far as the actual practice has nothing to do with Judaism. Nothing to do with it. The only similarity is they say that Torah is something they read. Follows a different story. Follows a completely different story. So now, sometimes people say, listen, the yeshiva, the orthodox Judaism yeshiva, regular traditional yeshiva, is expensive. Or it's not teaching certain subjects that I want to teach my son or my daughter. So I'm going to send him to this other yeshiva that's being taught by reform rabbis or by conservative rabbis. This is worse than public school. Worse. We just said public school, Rabbi Nisim again says, better the kid dies. Sending him to reform or, or, or conservative is worse. To such an extent that... A lot of people think that reform is worse than conservative. It's not true. Rav Hillel Mikalmaya, if you remember, we talked about him last week or two weeks ago. He was one of the Khatam uh, Sofer students. And he wrote a book, Et La'asot. Very famous book, Musar. But he was a Baal Musar that traveled from city to city to such an extent that when he would step over the border and people found out that he's coming into, that he's just came into the city, everybody would start doing Chatano Avinu Pashano. Everybody would start doing Tshuva. Why? If he's here, if Rabbi Hillel is here, we have to do Tshuva. He's not here for no reason. He heard that we're cooling off. He heard we're not doing enough. There's something wrong. He's not coming for no reason. It's not like today you just go on a train two hours later in a different city or you go on a plane an hour, two hours later or somewhere else. Back then, you traveled to the city. It took a while. Mesirut nefesh. 
If Rabbi Hillel Mikalmaya came here, we have a problem. Rabbi Hillel Mikalmaya says, conservative is much worse than reform. Much worse. Why? Reform, they give bar mitzvahs to dogs. You know it's not Judaism. You know it's not Judaism. It's not like it's like someone thinks, someone in the world actually thinks this is authentic, Moshe Rabbeinu Judaism. No one thinks, including the rabbis there, which are most of the time not even Jewish. Most of the time the rabbis themselves are not Jewish and sometimes they're not even men, they're women. No one thinks this is Judaism, including them. So it's obvious. It's obvious tarif. It's obvious tarif. With conservative, at least in his day, in his day, he says it has the image of Judaism. Because in his day, sadly, conservative was similar to, to um, modern Orthodox today. They weren't like the conservative of today where the head rabbi of the conservative movement in Jerusalem is openly gay. Today, the head rabbi of conservative movement is openly gay. And now there is one major decision being considered by all of the conservative leaders. What's the, what's the, what's the decision? Should we allow intermarriage? Meaning, should we change the Torah and say there's a new rule from now on, Goim and Jews are allowed to marry, and we'll actually get them into our kilot and everything is okay. This is already accepted in reform, by the way. Now they're saying, and conservative, we've been considering it for many years, and we feel like we're losing our people if we don't start accepting into marriage. But in his day, in Rabbi Lel's day, the reality was that conservative was actually closer to modern orthodox. And he still says, this looks like real Judaism. That's why it's more dangerous. Now, I'm not telling everybody that you have to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way to be real or not real. The reality of it is, every single day, someone has to look in the mirror and they have to ask themselves the same question I ask myself. Am I doing what God said? Or am I just making new laws? Is it my opinion or God's opinion? God said, you have to be modest. Am I modest? Not modest. God said, you have to watch your mouth. Am I watching my mouth or not? God said, you have to pray a certain time. Am I doing it or not? God said, learn Torah. Am I learning Torah or am I learning the salary cap of all the basketball teams in the, in the NBA? God said certain things. Am I doing it or am I just making new laws? Do I know more about the stock market than I know about Moshe Rabbeinu? Am I doing it? Am I doing what God said or am I just creating new opinions? Allah said this, and did I say something different? Am I doing something different? That's what the question you have to ask yourself. It has nothing to do with looks. You don't have to wear black and white. You don't have to wear black kippa. Wear a pink kippa for all I care. doesn't really look good on a guy, but you want to wear a pink kippa, enjoy. But it's better you wear a pink kippa that covers your entire head than wear a tank top that's black. It's, where, it's better you wear a pink keeper that covers your entire head than have a rotten heart that cheats people all the time with the black and white on. So, the problem with this other versions of Judaism is that it's not a version of Judaism at all. It just looks like it. The, the, today's biggest poison is not even reform and conservative. 
Today's biggest poison is called Messianic Judaism. And the reason why it's the biggest poison out of the other ones is because it has absolutely nothing to do with Judaism to such an extent that it is a guarantee, a guarantee for a person to never have a share in the world to come if they go there. Why? Because it's Christianity. Messianic Judaism is Christianity in disguise. They tell you, listen, we learn Torah, but we worship J.C. Penny. We learn Torah, but we believe that Yeshua is the Mashiach. And we believe the New Testament, and we believe this, and we believe that. They don't follow any of the rules, but they say they believe. Now, because they call themselves Messianic Judaism, and they keep reading you verses that are very hard to understand from the prophets, it has the image of Judaism. And many Jews are falling for it. Many Jews. I'm not, obviously, there's many going that are falling for it, but many Jews are falling for it too. And very few are doing anything about it. So, why am I mentioning all of these things? Is because anytime we make a shield that talks about all this stuff, what's the biggest defense that these people try to say? Hey, listen, you shouldn't say Lashonara. You shouldn't say Lashonara about Messianic Judaism. You shouldn't say Lashonara about conservative Judaism. So once and for all, I want to explain to everybody, there's no such thing as Lashonara against the Rasha. If someone's an enemy of God, there's no such thing as Lashonara. As a matter of fact, you're obligated, it's a mitzvah, you're obligated to publicize that he's a Rasha. You're obligated to publicize that he's a Kofel. You're obligated. Why? Because once somebody leads people away from Hashem, they're now under a different definition. They're no longer, even if their father is Jewish, their mother is Jewish, they're all big rabbis and everything else. If they're leading people away from God to some other form of some fake Judaism or non-Judaism, they now have a new classification. They're no longer considered a natural Jew. They're now considered under the definition of a min. M-I-N. And a min is someone that is outright an enemy of Hashem in the... Rambam, Mishneh Torah, he says there are certain people that have no Olam Abba. But to such an extent, where if they did Tshuva, you help them. But certain people go to such a, such a far extent that even if they want to do Tshuva, you're not allowed to help them. They can do it if they actually succeed, good luck. But you are not allowed to help them do Tshuva. Who is it? Minim. People that led other people away from God. People that led people to Christianity, people that led people away from Hashem in one way or another, not allowed to help them do tshuva. Why? They're enemies of Hashem. So this is a very serious problem. Because unfortunately today, it's almost popular to lead people away from Hashem. So you don't even know who you're allowed to help, you're not allowed to help. So, the Mishnah here is telling you, if... You take it into consideration that every single time you take any action, you're creating an angel, good or bad. That's already the beginning of your tshuva. Why? Because if you actually visualize that there's an angel right now being created as a result of whatever you're doing, that should change your, should change your behavior. If it doesn't, there's something wrong with you. Or you just don't believe it's doing it. It's a different story. Like many people tell me, listen, he knows everything, but he doesn't keep. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as someone that knows everything and doesn't keep. 
they may know the alachot. They may know you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat. They may know that you're not allowed to be with a married woman that's not your married woman. They may know that you're not allowed to do certain things, but they don't believe it. And if you don't believe it, you might as well not know it. To know Torah and believe Torah are two different things. Two different things. If you believe it, then whatever you know is 100% real. If you don't believe it, you might as well not know it. It doesn't make a difference. It's like knowing the secret of how to win tic-tac-toe. If you never play, it doesn't make a difference. It's knowing the secret of how to make codes. But if you work as a uh, guy that's a mechanic, it doesn't make a difference if you know code. You're not using it. So if you, you can know all the halachot by heart, but if you don't believe what they say, it's all meaningless. So there's no such person on earth that believes the Torah and actually doesn't follow it. No such thing. Why? Because if you know Torah, that means that you know the 13 principles of faith. And the 13 principles of faith elaborate on what Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov is saying. He's not only saying, here he's saying that every time you do something, there's an angel, positive one or a negative one. The 13 principles of faith expands further and he says, eventually, you're either going to be rewarded or punished by this very same angel. This very same angel that you created, that's an evil angel, he's going to be the one hitting you. So why would you want to create people to beat you up? Or angels to beat you up? It's like somebody's, you know, getting a group of guys, hey guys, come, come over here, come over here, okay, jump me. Beat me up. No one in their right mind would do it. So, the people that know Torah, or they consider themselves, they know Torah, but don't follow it, that means they just don't believe it. They don't believe anything. That's a different story. It's a different argument. It's a different argument. Then you have to show them proof that the Torah is real, the Torah is valid, the Torah is divine, and so on and so forth. And then you explain to them why this, and why this, and why this, to the best of your ability. But to believe that someone knows everything is not following it, is the biggest mistake in the world. Because it's not possible. And the reason why is because part of learning Torah, one of the most important parts that eventually you get to, is to learn what punishment is. Like what actually happens. Is punishment you losing some money? Is punishment you getting a cold? Is punishment your wife yelling at you or your kids failing in school? What's punishment? What's punishment? Eventually you get to a point you learn punishment is not that. Punishment is much, much worse. So anyone that knows Torah knows a little bit about what punishment is. And anyone that knows a little bit about punishment immediately gets your mind. There's no way that you know even 1% of 1% of what punishment really is and still sin against Hashem on purpose. Mistake? Everybody makes mistakes. But on purpose? Nobody in their right mind will do it. Nobody. So, the first and foremost is telling you, make a mitzvah, good. Avera, no good. You're creating problems for yourself. Now, the Yetzirah is much stronger than us, much smarter than us, we talk about it all the time. How do we defend ourselves against it? Now, if you remember, 
anyone that uh, prays every day, it's the guy's showing up again. Anyone that prays every day in a uh, arvit, which we'll do after this year, whoever did, I already did it, but whoever didn't do it should do arvit after this year. Uh, you could do arvit, by the way, as far as uh, you could do it until morning if, if necessary. You should do it before midnight, but you can technically do it until, uh, until morning, uh, all throughout the night. So if you ever get stuck, when you come home at 3 o'clock in the morning from a lecture and you haven't done arvit, you can still do arvit. So in our um, tefillot, in several places, in Shachrit, and actually in, in Arvit, it also says it, it says, after Amidah, Break and remove the Satan from before us, meaning in front of us, and from behind us. Now, breaking the Satan, removing the Satan, anything that's negative against Satan is good for us. It's good. Get him away from us. That we don't really need much of a chidush about. We don't really need much commentary about that. The tough part is, what do you mean be the one that's in front of us and the one that's t- behind us? What does it mean? It says, the one that's behind us, all the things that we're dealing with right now, it's in front of us actually, all the things that we're dealing with right now, help us Hashem, help us make the right decision. Help us make the right decision. Instead of Going to sleep, go to Shil Torah. Instead of going to a basketball game, go to Shil Torah. Instead of doing this, this, and this, learn Torah. Make, help us make the right decision. That's the, in front of us. But behind us, that's a tougher one. What do you mean behind us? The sin already happened. Sin already happened. So why, why protect us from the Satan from behind us? No, no, no. If sin can happen from things you already did. You just don't know it yet. What could it be? This is what we learned last night. Last night we learned that sometimes somebody will pass the first level. Satan comes to him, says, don't learn Torah. Don't learn Torah. Go watch basketball. Go to uh, some you know, lecture that talks about uh, money. Go to do something else. Just don't learn Torah. And you overcame the Satan, you overcame the Yetzirah, and you actually went to Shil Torah. Now, Satan is not retiring. What does he do? He comes back again, just like he came back in the shul on the camera at least four or five times. He comes back again. What does he do? After you went to shul Torah, you feel good about yourself. You feel good about yourself. You come home, honey, I'm a Talmud Chacham. Why? I went to shul Torah three hours. You slept two and a half hours, but I went to shul Torah three hours. I went to shul Torah, I'm Talmud Chacham. Everything I read, I understand. Everything, I, every, I know everything. I don't even need to go to shul Torah anymore. I'm good. Honey, I'm, I'm perfect. I, I think I can teach next week. That's Mahrenu. That's the Satan Mahrenu. The mitzvot you did, Satan's going to try to ruin them. You made a mitzvah, now it's going to go to your head. It's going to go to your head, and you're going to think you're Moshe Rabbeinu. You think you're going to be you're bigger than what you really are. You think that all of a sudden you gave some tzedakah. Oh, tzedakah? I give tzedakah. Oh, you don't know how much I give? This building. Who do you think got the money? This rabbi, who do you think pays for him? Did who do, do I have to say? No, come on, do I have to say? Do I have to say? You know what? You meet those people? You meet those? Do I have to say who it is? 
Who do you think runs this place? Do I have to say? That's Mecherinu. That's the Satan Mecherinu. You already did mitzvah. You gave tzedakah. You gave money to the rabbi. You gave money to Kirub. You donated sefer. Whatever you did. But what do you say? Do I have to? You don't know? You, oh, you don't, I'm not a regular person. I had one guy. I had one guy called. God bless him. God bless him. So hopefully he does tshuva one day. This guy. Mamash. Special soul. Special soul. I'm Sheoref. Definition. He calls my rabbi, Rabbi Ephraim. But I'm not going to go over to all the details, but the point is that he says a few things, complains about a few things, and uh, Rabbi Ephraim, God bless him, he listens. He listens, he lets you talk. And he says to the rabbi, he goes, you know, I'm not a regular person. I'm not an ish pashut. I'm not a simple person. In Torah world, that means you're Talmud Chacham. Not like Ish Pashut, like I'm a commoner. No, no. Meaning Ish Pashut is a commoner. But if I'm not a commoner, that means I'm a Talmud Chacham. You know, and you know Ish Pashut. I, I know. When the Gdolea don't make a decision, they call me. Well, Ephraim says at that very moment, I knew that he's a Shoteh. What's Shoteh? Meshuga. He's crazy. Everything he says, he's patu. He doesn't know what he has to do with Mitzvot Bechad. He doesn't have to do mitzvot. Whatever he doesn't have to do mitzvot. Why? The gedolei ador calling you. You're barely 21 years old. The gedolei ador calling you. You just learned how to wipe your butt without a diaper. Now the gedolei ador calling you. But that's people get into their head. It gets into their head. They learn a few gemarot. They learn a few halachot. They think they oh, they have a little notebook. They write their chidushim on, which 90% of them are wrong anyway. They go oh, you know why? Do I have to say? Do I really have to say who I am? I'm Loish Pashut. Loish Pashut. I'm not a simple person. That's the people. That's Me'achirinu. You didn't mitzvah, you're ruining it. You're ruining it. Be quiet. Humble. Quiet. So, the, uh, the good news is, is your effort of whatever you're making, whether it's a mitzvah or avera, is going to create a complete or incomplete angel. Meaning, if your mitzvah is full intention mitzvah, your angel is going to be a powerhouse angel. Strong, big, six wings, powerful. You used to have eight wings, but they lost two after Bet HaMikdash. They lost two. Gemara says they lost two wings, now they have six. Some say it's only four. But still, powerful angel can help you win the case. On the other hand, if you're one of these people that does tefillin, like the tefillin is on the side. You think like it's one of those uh, baseball hats like they used to wear in public schools where you used to go to. They used to wear side, you know, the hat sideways, and you're wearing your tefillin sideways. Because you think you're doing God a favor for doing tefillin. Or you give tzedakah, but you have 300 bucks in your pocket, but you give $3. Because, ah, it's $3, it's enough. It's enough for them, it's enough for them. Look, they have a building already. Yeah, but the building has expenses. So if you're one of those people that does a mitzvah that's not incomplete, then what happens is your angel is deformed. He's missing an eye, he's missing an arm, he's missing a leg. 
So Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Miberdichov came to Hashem and he says, Look, Hashem, I know it's Yom Kippur, I know it's Judgment Day, I know, I know, Hashem, I know. Look at these angels, all these, all these demons that Amisel created. I know, we made a lot of sins, Hashem. But come on, look, Hashem, we also have some mitzvot. Okay, okay, Hashem. He always looked for the kafschut for Am Yisrael. Okay, Hashem, okay. We don't have as many mitzvot, we don't have as many good angels as we have the other ones. I understand, Hashem, but look, the ten angels that we have on the good side are strong. When we did a mitzvah, finally, look what kind of mitzvah we did, a hundred percent mitzvah. Tzedakah gave a hundred percent. Tefillin, hundred percent. Okay, Shabbat was fifty. Kosher was fifth. Fine, but look, the mitzvah we did, powerful. Averot, look, this guy's missing an eye. This guy's missing a leg. This guy's missing a wing. What does it mean, Hashem? It shows these are these angels are Baalei Mum. They're deformed angels because when we did the sins, we weren't so sure we wanted to make a sin. But listen, we have Yetzirah. So it's not from your kavod, Hashem, to keep these Baalei Mum, these deformed angels that are Yetzirah. So you would fight for Am Yisrael. You would argue for, with Hashem for the benefit of Am Yisrael, figuratively speaking, obviously. So, but this is actually very much real. All of the stuff that I'm telling you, these angels are very much real. And David Melech actually talks about it. In uh, Tehilim, Psalm 91, verse 7, it says... This is actually something you read in Tefillah. You read it in Tefillah. And uh, yeah. ah, okay. So it says a thousand may fall victim at your side and ten thousand on your right or a myriad of right, uh, will fall on your right but you shall not be uh, you shall not approach meaning you will not be affected by it what is this what is what is David Melech saying it says when you finally listen to the rest of the Mishnah that Rabbi Eliezer Ben Yaakov said You have protection. He says, Tshuva and good deeds are like a shield against retribution. When someone makes sins against Hashem, Hashem has different creations in the world that He created purely for punishment. Sometimes it's a bug. Sometimes it's deflation. Sometimes it's inflation. Sometimes it's a boss. Sometimes it's a rock. Sometimes it's a car. Plane. Weather, whatever, there's different creations that Hashem has that He uses them for different things. And sometimes their only usefulness is to punish someone. And we talked about it last night, is that Chazal says that there are plenty of things that Hashem created in the world that are waiting to be used. For what? To punish people. That's their only purpose in life. It's the only purpose of why Hashem created them. There's a certain mosquito that was created in the world just to punish somebody who did something wrong. And the next day he's going to scratch himself for three hours because of this mosquito. For whatever sin that he made. So, 
Anytime somebody makes a sin, he makes this angel. Eventually, Hashem has to pass judgment. He has to judge the person, punish him for certain things. Now, that means he sent a messenger. Now, Rabbi Eliezer says, if you do tshuva and good deeds, they'll act like a shield against the retribution. Why doesn't it say, if you do tshuva, you don't have to worry about anything. It should cancel out your sins. It should kill the bad angels. No, it doesn't. Because even though your tshuva is good, you did tshuva, Baruch Hashem. Problem is, Hashem already created that vehicle to punish you. He created that mosquito. He created that car. He created that plane. He created those things. So it's already cre- It's already in the system. But if you do tshuva and good deeds, that tshuva and good deeds will actually act as a shield. Meaning that even though they're going to come, that mosquito is going to come. As soon as he sees the new version of you, he's going to walk. He's going to fly right. He's not just going to disappear out of existence. He's going to be reused, rerouted. Like when I make 80 mistakes on the way here or somewhere else, my GPS says rerouting, same thing. Same thing, rerouted. The car, the plane, the wind, Irma. Irma came, they wanted to punish a bunch of people. Baruch Hashem, a few people's houses, it made a right turn. Didn't touch it. Everybody else around were destroyed. That house, nothing. Baruch Hashem. Why? Didn't deserve the punishment. Simple as it gets. They deserve it. That shows, if you actually look at the details of what happened during during Hurricane Irma, who got hurt, who didn't get hurt, you go into the details of some of the miracles that happened during that storm, it's Mamash, you see the intelligent design behind everything. You just see the hand of Hashem behind everything. It's unbelievable. So, here David HaMelech says, Thousand are going to fall, and ten thousand are going to fall by your sides. Who's, who's, who are these thousand and ten thousand? What are these? That's the demons you created. That's the bad angels you created. He says they're going to fall, meaning they're going to fall, but they're not going to touch you. They'll have you created them already. You can't just make them uncreated. They're there, but they're not going to touch you. Why? You did chuba. You did chuba. The problem is, is that sometimes we do tshuva in the beginning, and then we go back. We start keeping Shabbat, but then one of our childhood friends shows up, unannounced, on Friday night, and he tries to convince us to go out. We start keeping Shabbat, and all of a sudden, our parents that don't keep anything, want to come over for Shabbat and they want us to watch a movie with them. We start keeping kosher, but all of a sudden our boss invites us to our annual dinner at a non-kosher place. We start keeping mitzvot and all of a sudden the new company that wants to hire us wants to invite us to an event in Las Vegas, a.k.a. Sodom and Gomorrah. But we want this job. So we're being tested. And unfortunately, many times people fail. They just start doing tshuva, they start keeping Shabbat, they start keeping tefillin, they start keeping mitzvot. Hashem says, okay, let me see if you're really serious. 
to be religious at home is very easy very easy everybody's religious at home everybody people tell me you know I wear t- I wear tzitzit all day I said yeah what about when you leave the house no come on I don't wear tzitzit when I leave the house but at home I wear tzitzit all the time I go to sleep with tzitzit I'm like yeah the problem is tzitzit the mitzvah is for during the day not at night you can go to sleep with it enjoy but the mitzvah is for during the day when you're outside he goes, yeah, but I wear kippah. Wait, you wear kippah outside? No, no, I don't wear kippah outside. I wear kippah when I'm home. So their, their religion, their Judaism, their God is only in their house. It's not in the mall. It's not at work. It's not everywhere else. It's only in the house or in the synagogue. It's very easy to be religious when no one sees you. That's why Shem sends tests to those people. I want to know what you're going to do when everyone sees you. I want to know what you're going to do. What you're going to do when... You're getting tested. When I send that beautiful girl in front of you, are you going to look at her? Hashem created beauty. But is it for you? Is it for you to look at? So that's the thing that people fail at. Why? Because they hide, they hide their Judaism. Hashem gives them a convenient way to be religious, a convenient way to do tshuva. They have a few new friends. Synagogue is right next to the house. They can work out of the house or the job is really close. Nobody gets in their way. There's not really many many tests. So to do tshuva becomes easy. Eat kosher. Okay, so instead of shopping at this supermarket, you shop at that supermarket. Big deal. Keep Shabbat, it's a vacation once a week. No one should really take that much credit for keeping Shabbat. It's not really that much of a big deal. It's not that much of a big deal if you really think about it. It's very easy to keep Shabbat today. It's very different to keep Shabbat today than keeping Shabbat a hundred years ago. You could do so many things on Shabbat. You could do more things on Shabbat today, permissibly, than you can't do. There's more things that are allowed than not allowed. It's no problem keeping Shabbat. But people give themselves extra credit for keeping a few mitzvot, but then as soon as Hashem gives them a test, they're keeping Shabbat for three months, four months, five months, by themselves, or with their spouse, or with their friends, but all of a sudden, their usual environment changes, and someone comes in to stir the pie a little bit. The parents that don't keep anything, the friends that don't keep anything, the boss, someone comes in to stir the pie, and all of a sudden they become chilonim. This actually happens very often with Israelis that go to live in America and go to visit Israel. They do tshuva in America, they start keeping mitzvot, but they go to vacation to Israel. As soon as they go to vacation in Israel, in Israel they become chilonim, they become secular. They go to the beach, they go do a lot of things, they become secular. Why? Because like they feel at home and it's like everyone at home knows them as their past self. They're not comfortable with themselves yet. It was very easy to be religious in America. So this happens very often. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that Hashem doesn't view this very favorably. To such an extent that Shlomo HaMelech in Proverbs 26.11 says, Ki kelev shav al kio kesil just like a dog eats his own vomit, a fool goes back to his foolishness. 
Now, when I first read this, I immediately got it. And the reason why I used to have a dog. I used to have a dog. Now, someone who doesn't have a dog, this doesn't make any sense to them. What do you mean a dog eats their own vomit? That's actually what they do. Even though a dog can eat garbage, they can eat complete garbage. Sometimes they'll throw up. The garbage was worse than garbage. But, five seconds later, they eat their own throw up. And it's brand new to them. It's like uh, brand new meals, brand new steak. That's a dog. Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of all men, says someone that does tshuva and then goes back is no different than that dog. Why? Because the vomit is disgusting. The only one who doesn't know it's disgusting is the dog. Everyone else that's watching it is disgusted. You watch it. If I, when I saw my dog, old dog, God bless him, he died already. But when I saw him, even, you know, I saw the dog eat. It was disgusting. I was like, what's wrong with this dog? I thought it was just unique to my dog. I thought it was unique to my dog. My dog, my dog is really strange. He's eating his own vomit. It's disgusting. I would yell at him. Like, stop eating your own vomit. It is disgusting. But then you find out. Every other dog does it. All dogs do it. That's, what, that's part of their nature. Everyone knows it's disgusting, except the dog. The problem is, with our sins, not only does everyone know it's disgusting, even we know it's disgusting. That's why we did tshuva in the first place. We left the sins, the dirt, the tum'ah, because we know it's bad. We knew being with someone that's not your wife or your husband is not good. We knew that cheating his business is not good. We knew that cheating God is not good. We knew that doing things against our Creator is not good. It's not good. Once you realize it, you know it's disgusting. Once you realize what a sin really is, it's obvious that it's disgusting. There's no debate. No one in the world thinks that a sin is good. That's the problem. When you go back to the sin... You're worse than the dog, Shlomo Melech says. Because here at least the dog doesn't know the vomit is disgusting. But you going back to the sin, you knew it was disgusting. You just forgot conveniently. Conveniently forgot. But how many times has this happened to us? We make the same sin over and over and over and over again. The judgment is dear. The judgment is much harsher than we know. Many people tell me all the time, oh, why is it so harsh? Maybe you should talk about happier things. This is Torah. This is what it says. No happier things. This is what it says. The fact that 95% of shurim that are out there talk about happier things is because they're all talking about the 1%. That's not relevant to most people. They talk about the same 1%. They all gather that 1%, which is a huge amount of information. But nonetheless, this 1% that's there, that's happy-go-lucky, it's Gan Eden, is not really relevant to most people. Because most of them are not going to be in Gan Eden if they continue the way they act. They're not. This is why the Gemara Masechet Megillah says, Gan Eden, 60 times the size of earth. Gan Eden, 60 times the size of earth. Genom, no size. Why no size? Says it keeps getting bigger. There's more attendees. 
It's not what I made. It's not my own rules. I didn't create this. This happy-go-lucky type of lectures that make people feel good about their own sins is also not realistic. Anyone that lives in the real world knows it's not realistic. Real life is tough. Real life has problems. Real life has obstacles. Real life is not easy. The real part of the Torah explains to you why. It tells you that even when you get suffering, there's a benefit to it. There's some sin that you made five years ago that Hashem gave you five years to do tshuva for. You didn't do it yet. So He has to give you a little bit of a punishment, a little slap in the face. You lost $5,000. You were really supposed to lose 500000 but you did tshuva. You saved yourself 495 Now, but you're still going to get $5,000 worth of damages. You think it's the worst thing in the world. You lost 5000 In reality, you don't realize that He just saved you 495 by delaying punishment and giving you time to do tshuva. You think the flat tire that made you lose the appointment that lost a $5,000 contract is the worst thing in the world. In reality, the original punishment was not a flat tire. The original punishment was a car accident. But Hashem delayed it. That's real Torah. That's what actually happens. Everything, all these trials and tribulations actually are written in the Torah because there's a benefit to them. They're part of real life. To say that if you believe positive, everything positive will happen to you, that's not reality. Look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Does it say that Moshe Rabbeinu went to Tahiti for vacation and he had a positive life? Does it say that Avraham Avinu went to Bahamas to have a positive life and he was on vacation and nothing bad happened to him? Does it say that Rabbi Akiva was on pension plan, didn't have to work and was just vacationing all day? sitting in front of his house in a garage all day, looking at his neighbors and see what they're doing. That's what people sometimes do. They get so bored, they sit in front of their garage all day and look at their neighbors. Worst. I have no idea. It's my last, the worst. The other day this happened to me. We went to uh, the... Um, took the kids to a... Um, uh, the playground... And uh, wanted to park, and the parking didn't have a spot, so we just parked on the grass. Someone, it's not bothering anyone, it's not part of anybody's grass. Woman comes out, runs out of her, 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 her garage. Hey, you know, they're going to tow you, they're going to tow you. I said, okay, okay, I'll move the car. Let me just drop off the kids at the playground, and I'll come back, and don't worry. She was so nervous, like I was doing something that's... It's, Chilul Hashem or something. So I dropped off the kid at the grass and I tell my wife, I'm like, listen, I wasn't planning on going back. I was planning just, kids are going to be in the playground for 15 minutes. I'm not going to go back. It's going to take me 20 minutes just to find a parking spot. So I tell my wife, look, I'm counting the clock. 10 minutes, this woman comes from where she lives, starts looking for me in the streets. My wife's like, come on, she's not going to do that. I'm like, what? She's going to do it. I'm telling you, I, I felt like a prophet. For a moment, I felt like a prophet. Ten minutes later, you see this woman, nervous. She's on the phone, which she's calling the towing company. She's on the phone looking for me, like this. My wife's like, okay, let me go move the car. Move the car. But this is sometimes what people do. They have nothing to do with their life. Their minds are completely empty. Their lives are completely empty. They sit outside, they look at other people. And they cause trouble. 
miskinim, miskinim these people. But this is, this actually happens in life. This happens in life. This is real life. So, so now, this all these things happen to me. I don't know. I'm not, it's, you can't even make this stuff up. My wife tells me you attract these unique type of uh, incidents in your life. So, <laughs> I guess it's for the lectures. It has to be for the lectures. This is my jokes. The joke's on me. So, what time is it? 11? Okay, so we have about a half hour to go. Okay, half hour to go before we take a break and then uh, start the second part of the shiul. Okay, so, angels, positive, negative, tshuva can protect you. So far, so good. So far, so good. Now, once somebody goes against the Shem, meaning they know it's a sin, they go back. They started keeping Shabbat, but they start violating it again anyway. They start keeping kosher, but then the boss asks them to eat at a non-kosher place, and they go eat. No, no, it's one time, God. It's one time. I'm only going to eat this one time. The problem is, there's a Mishnah written for them also. Someone that says, I'm going to sin and do tshuva. I'm going to sin and do tshuva. The punishment, Hashem's not going to let him do tshuva. Meaning, if you know it's a sin, and you keep going back to it with an intention to do tshuva, I'm only going to eat non-kosher with my boss one time. I I need to get this promotion, God. Don't you want me to donate to the Biknesset, God? Like you're, you're, you're debating with God. Don't you want me to donate to the Kiruv, to the Kiruv Rabbi God? You know, save Ami Sled. I have to eat non-kosher once. Isn't this Pikuach Nefesh? You start debating Allah with God. So you make a sin thinking you're going to make a mitzvah as a result. What's the punishment? Punishment is you get to a point where you become hated by God. Hated by God. Now, where's the source? You go to Tehillim, Tehillim 139, verse 21. David Melech again. David Melech tells us something extraordinary, extraordinarily scary. He says, Alo misanecha Adonai esna, ubimitkomemecha et kotat. For indeed, those who hate you, O Hashem, I hate them. And I quarrel with them, with those that rise against you. With the utmost hatred, I hate them. They have become enemies unto me. So David Melech says, as part of my love to you, Hashem, not only am I fulfilling my mitzvot, but I hate your haters, I hate your enemies. Now, who are his enemies? We learn in the book of Deuteronomy, Sefer Devarim, Parashat Vayet Hanan, the last three verses, Hashem Bach gives the definition of who his enemies are, who his haters are. Who are these haters? He says, O Ivai and Shomrei Mitzvotai. My lovers are those that keep my mitzvot. I pay them for a thousand generations. But my haters, which is the opposite of the ones that keep my mitzvot, I pay them cash to their face to destroy them. Meaning, I give them whatever reward I owe them in order to eliminate them because they have no share of the world to come. Why? Because I hate them. Now, we already have gone over 
this in the past, but it's still relevant again. There were some really, really horrible characters in the Torah. You have Nimrod. Nimrod was named Nimrod because he was the first one that openly went against God. Nimrod means Mored. Mored means an enemy, an enemy of God. Nimrod was named Nimrod because he was an enemy of God. He made himself into an idol. He didn't even go to Chinatown and buy an idol. He actually just made himself into an idol. Killed many people that went against him. Whoever went against him, he killed them. Paro was even worse. Not only did he make himself into an idol, but he would bathe with the blood of Jewish babies every day. Because he had tzara'at, he had a skin disease, and there's necromancers told him that the cure is the blood of Jewish babies. And he would bathe with them in a jacuzzi every single day. Everything that happened in the Holocaust was only a fraction of what happened in Mitzrayim. It was much worse in Egypt. As a matter of fact, one of the books, as bad as the Holocaust was, obviously you know, people know it's horrible, and I 100% agree. But actually, if you read the Midrash of what actually happened during Egypt, or what happened during Bet HaMikdash, the first one or the second one, it's actually worse. More people died. Horrible, horrible situations. So Paro was terrible. Who destroyed Bet HaMikdash? Nebuchadnezzar. Terrible human being. To such an extent, he destroyed so many Jews that there was a river, a river of Jewish blood from city to city. A river of blood. Haman wanted to destroy all of Am Yisrael. Different people are mentioned in the Torah, horrible, horrible characters. Not one time does God say, I hated Paro. I hated Nebuchadnezzar. I hated Nimrod. Not once. Who does he say I hated? He tells the prophet, It's Yaakov Avti. I loved Yaakov. Esav Saneti. But Esav, I hated him. Esav, out of all people, Esav, I hated him. Why I hated Esav? Esav is worse than Paro. Why, he killed millions and millions of babies? Millions of adults? No, he killed a few people, but he didn't kill as many people as even a fraction of what Nimrod did, of what Paro did, of what Nebuchadnezzar did. He didn't. Okay, he killed a few. Okay, he didn't follow mitzvot. But why do you hate him and not them? Does it, does it, does, does it make sense? What makes sense? It says Esav had the opportunity to learn. He knew the truth. He knew what Torah was. He knew what mitzvot were. His brother was Tadik. His father, Gdoladov. His grandfather, even bigger. His brother was Yaakov. His father was Yitzchak. And his grandfather is Avraham Avinu. It doesn't get better than that family. He knew every day, this is mitzvot, this is averot. He knew every day. He knew the truth. And every day he said, yeah, I'm going to do tshuva tomorrow, I'm going to nets. Tomorrow I'm learning Torah all day. Tomorrow I'm giving tzedakah. Tomorrow I'm eating kosher. Tomorrow I'm doing this, tomorrow I'm doing that. And every day he would lie. Every day he wouldn't do it. And Hashem says, him, I hated him. Esav saneti. Why I hate? He knew the truth and he still went against it. He's worse than the dog that eats a straw up. 
The dog that eats his throat doesn't think the throat is anything wrong with it. It's his nature. But the human that eats the throw up, that makes the sin again, he's worse than the dog. Why? Because he knows it's disgusting and he still does it. He knows it's disgusting in, a, in the eyes of Hashem and he still does it. That causes a person to be hated by God. So all of those people that say, no, God loves everyone, it's not true. There are certain people that God hates. There are certain people that God hates a lot. If they do certain things that are against Hashem, God hates them, 100%. This is what Torah says. So, the Rambam, in Ilchot Shuvah, goes into details about some of this. Very good to read Ilchot Shuvah, or really all of the Mishneh Torah by the Rambam. It says the following. The first Alakha in chapter 4 of Ilchot Shuvah, says there are 24 deeds which hold back tshuva, meaning that get in the way of your tshuva. 24 different things that could hurt your tshuva. Four are the commission of severe sins. God will not grant the person who commits such deeds to repent because of the gravity of his transgressions, meaning such a person that makes such sins, Hashem will not help him do tshuva. He could still do tshuva technically, but he's on his own. It's like the multi-billionaire father says, listen, you want to go work? You want to go start a business? Good luck. I'm not helping you though. But you're a billionaire. I'm not giving you a penny. Go luck. You're homeless, you're homeless. You're on your own. So you could Technically, you could succeed, but you don't have a penny in your pocket. You're most likely not going to succeed. Same concept. So the Rambam continues, this is Allah. This is actually what we live by. This is not like a theory. This is not a thought. This is not an opinion. There's no machloket. This is it. This is as if you got it from Mount Sinai. Same thing. This is what he says. First one. Someone who causes the masses to sin. This is what we talked about before. This is a person that's called a mean. Someone that causes other people to sin. Tells all of his friends, Hey guys, let's go to the beach. All these people became Shomer Shabbat. They started doing tshuva. He comes and says, Guys, forget tshuva. Let's go to the beach. Let's go to the strip club. Let's go to the bar. Let's go to the rave. Let's go to Solomon Gomorrah. Let's go somewhere. That person's a mean. Let's go to the church. Same thing. Same thing. You should know. There's a few things that it says, it's better you die not sin. One of them, don't ever murder somebody over your own blood. Why? Your blood's not better than his. If someone says, kill him or I kill you, you die. Don't kill anybody for your own blood. Two. Second thing is, don't worship an idol. Someone says, go to a church, or I kill you. Die. Not to go to a church. Even if someone is chasing you with a knife, not to go to a church. Not allowed. You go to a mosque, you can't go to a church. Even though probably everybody there has a knife too. But not to go to a church. Third option, don't make any sex crimes. Don't make any sex crimes. What does it mean, don't make any sex crimes? Someone says, listen, let's go to the beach where pretty much nobody wants clothes over there. Die and don't go to the beach. Why? It's, it's, it's considered giloy alayot. So here, someone tells, hey, guys, let's all go to the beach. It's better to die than not go. To that extent. 
to that extent. So someone that's a mean, someone that caused other people to sin, you have a serious problem. Rambam says, Hashem doesn't help him do tshuva. Second person, someone who leads his fellow man astray from the path of good to that of bad. For example, someone who proselytizes or serves as a missionary for idol worship. Someone that's specifically a missionary brings him to Messianic Judaism, if you will. Like this Rasham Elushai, what does he call himself? Yitzchak Shapira? This filth of the world? This guy. This guy, Hashem is not going to help him do tshuva, even if he wants to do tshuva. No chance whatsoever. Why? He's destroying souls on a regular basis with trauma while he's eating it. And he makes videos about it like he's a tzaddik. That's the best part about it. Third, someone who sees his son becoming associated with evil influences and refrains from rebuking him. Sees his kid becoming a little rasha, a little Hitler. Doesn't say anything. No, no, he's going to grow out of it one day. Says it's a problem. You have a problem with you have a problem with Hashem. Why? Part of your mission, Vishinantim Bam, you have to teach your kids Torah. What's Torah? Behavior, ethics. It's not just Moshe Rabbeinu. There's a lot of parts to the Torah. You can't just have your kid become a little mini Hitler and cause everyone in the Beknesset to suffer because you don't know how to discipline him. People bring their kids to Beknesset, cute kid until he opens his mouth, starts causing trouble the whole day. No one can pray. You can't bring a kid like that to Beknesset. Train him first, then bring him. No, no, he'll learn from the Kmexan. No, he's not going to learn from the Kmexan. He's going to learn at home first, and then you bring him. I don't have to suffer because he's your kid. Who said I have to suffer because he's your kid? People bring their kids to Beknesset and think it's a mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah. He's ruining everybody's prayer. It's 500 people in a Beknesset. 100 people in a Beknesset can't pray because the kid is jumping on tables. It's not a mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah at all. It's a sin. It's Chilu Hashem. You're disturbing people's uh, prayers. You're not doing your job. So here he talks some pretty aggressive stuff. We don't have that much time before the next part starts, but we'll continue with this. We'll go to this one. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the benefit of life. Okay, so now... The Rambam says, what's the beauty of tshuva? What's the amazing part of doing tshuva? What's the, something that people don't really understand? All of the prophets spoke about tshuva. You want to bring Mashiach? You have to do tshuva. All the prophets talked about tshuva. All the prophets, whether it's Moshe Rabbeinu, or it's Jeremiah, or it's Zechariah, or it's Ezekiel, everyone told Amisa to do tshuva. Why? The Mashiach depends on it. In essence, you want the Mashiach to come, you have to do tshuva. Now, the Gemara also talks about how we've ran out of time. Ran out of time. And really, if Am Yisrael doesn't do tshuva, Hashem is not going to bring the Mashiach. That's what Rabbi Eliezer says. So Rabbi Yeshua, this is Masechet Sanhedrin, Rabbi Yeshua says, no, 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 it doesn't mean that he's not going to help them. What it actually means, if Hashem... If Am Yisrael does not do tshuva, then Hashem will bring a king who decrees harsh decrees just like Haman 
which will force Am Yisrael to repent. Meaning, either Am Yisrael is going to do tshuva from seminars and lectures, or they're going to do tshuva from Hitler. One of the two has to happen. Something has to happen. It's either a good way or a bad way. But the Rambam says something extraordinary about tshuva. He says, if you actually look at the sixth halacha, he says, tshuva is great for a person because it brings him close to the Shekhinah. Just like the, uh, the prophet Oshea says, Shuvu Yisrael ad Hashem elokecha. And many other verses in the Torah talk about how Hashem says, when you, bring, you come close to me, when you do tshuva, you're coming close to me. But the extraordinary part, the Rambam says, is that tshuva brings a person who is far removed. What does far removed mean? What does a, uh, someone that's rachok really mean? He says, previously, this person was hated by God. So as you see, this is Rambam, it's not my language. This person was hated by God, was considered disgusting, far removed, and an abomination. Now, he's considered beloved, and desirable, and close, and dear. Before Tshuva, when he was eating his own throw-up, when he was eating his own sins, making the same sins over and over again, he was considered Sanui. Sanui means hated. He was considered Meshukats. Meshukats means disgusting. So this is Rambam's language. You can't blame me. You have a problem? Go to Rambam 900 years ago. Why? He gave you everything and you're using it against him. Now, since we don't have much time. Oh, actually it's not Allah. Six. Six, what was five? Okay, now, a person that reviews his sins on a regular basis is much more likely to have a real chuva stick much more likely to have a tshuva that's going to last through thick and thin, through the big tests. Of course, you're going to fail from time to time. Everybody fails. No such thing as a righteous person doesn't sin. Even Shlomo Amedek writes it. It's not a... Uh, no one is expecting you to become Allah. You're still human. But to go back to your sins on a regular basis, you are Mechalel Shabbat, you are a... Uh, you know, and now, you know, did tshuva, and then you're going to go back to it. You wasted time and never learned Torah, and you're gonna, you know, you're learning, and now you're gonna go back to not, you know, to wasting your time again. You did all these sins. Now you did shuva. Finally, you started going to shulet Torah, and then you're gonna, you know what? I already did shuva. I'm gonna stop going, and all of a sudden you become a sinner again. You have put yourself in a worse situation than you started. Why worse situation than you started? In the beginning, you didn't know. Before you did shuva the first time, you didn't know that Hashem finds what you're doing disgusting. Before you did tshuva, you didn't know that Hashem finds you driving on Shabbat as a serious, serious abomination. Serious problem. Before you did tshuva, you didn't realize that Hashem actually cares whether you eat kosher or don't eat kosher. 
whether you overeat or you undereat, whether you're honest with your business or just honest at home and pretend to be honest in your business. You didn't know. Then you learned. Then you learned the truth. When you didn't know, you were in essence considered anus. I'm sorry, I... Um, a uh, meaning that you were just somebody that was like some stolen baby that was uh, thrown in the middle of the jungle It doesn't even know he's Jewish. You didn't know anything. You were the same thing as a cow. You didn't know anything. You just thought that you were there somebody, for somebody to milk you. And if you were to say moo all day. You didn't know anything. Then you did tshuva. Then you learned. Then you learned you're a Jew. Then you learned that being a Jew is a special responsibility. It's a special thing. There's a special reward for it. And you still went against it. That's why Hashem says, Et Esav Saneti. Esav, I hated him. Why? He knew the truth and he still went against it. He knew it. His brother was Gdolador, his father was Gdolador, and his grandfather was even bigger than both of them. Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. You can't say he didn't know. Everyone tells me, oh, my, my, my father's a rabbi. My uncle's a rabbi. My great-grandfather wrote a book. Great. They're in Gan Eden. You're a sav. Unless you do tshuva. They're in, a, they're in Gan Eden, just like Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. But if you choose to be a sav, you'll be in the same place as a sav. What's Gemara and Sanhedrin say about a sav? A sav in lochelek lolamaba. Has no share of the world to come. Nothing. Finished. So, the beauty of doing tshuva is the tshuva has a significant amount of power. I told you in the beginning that if you want to be like the Tanaim, revive people from the dead, you actually have the ability to do it. Now, obviously, it's not the same way as the Tanaim where they just pray and somebody goes back to life. But one of the benefits of doing what we do and helping people do tshuva is one of the benefits of helping people do tshuva is you see you get to see real life miracles on a daily basis. So most people thought that you know when we first started talking about the whole problem with wigs having a source of Abu Dazara in India and all of that stuff. I thought it was like my opinion, like I care, like I have some hat store or something. Like I'm going to make a fortune out of selling people hats. But eventually people started listening and started seeing that this is a serious problem. And Baruch Hashem, some of the from Israel got involved, confirmed everything we said already a year and a half ago. And put a new halacha, says that you can't trust any wig out there that's made from real hair because you can't confirm whether it is or it isn't from India. And even if there's one hair from the wig that's from India, the entire wig is asu because you can't identify the hair. Therefore, the whole wig is asu. You can't use wigs. Technically, you weren't able to use wigs anyway because of modesty issues. But even if you use the five-post scheme that says that wigs are allowed... Those same five post scheme did not say that Abu Dazara is allowed. No one, no one says Abu Dazara is allowed. Or to benefit from Abu Dazara is allowed. So just recent, they give you recent miracles, recent stuff that happened. A couple of, Baruch Hashem, a couple of religious people saw the shiurim and uh, 
they contact me, they ask me some questions about the wigs and so on. One of them told me, listen, this is maybe, I don't know, two weeks ago. He says, listen, I want to tell you a real life story because I know that this is something that you may want to tell people. I said, okay, what? He goes, I decide to listen to what you say and I decide to take off my wig. She'd been wearing a wig her whole, you know, whole life, whole married life, years. It's not like something she just started last week and she wasn't used to it. All life she's wearing a wig. Says, we've been looking for a house for five years. Five years we've been looking for a house. The day I decided to throw my wig out in the garbage, we got a call, we found a house. Five years I'm looking for a house. The day I threw it out, I'm looking. We're, we're, we're closing now, she says. We're in the closing now. Five years. Found a house. Okay, to some people, it's, ah, it's a coincidence. Coincidence. So another woman calls. She's Actually, she sends me a letter. And she says, listen, I decided to take off my wig. And I've been praying for something for a very long time. And it never happened. But then I decided to throw my wig. I just decided, you know what? It's time to do tshuva. I know it's true. It's not, I can't use this wig. Inside, I knew what you're saying is real, even before you said it. But once you said it, that was it. That was the nail in the coffin. It was just really a matter of me overcoming my desires because the wig looks good. It's long, it's pretty, it looks, it's done all the time. Who doesn't want to wear a wig? I decided to throw it out. Something I've been praying for years to happen happened she had some huge test that uh she failed four times it's a big test i don't know for law or for medicine or something big like that she just couldn't pass it she said you know what i'm gonna go take the test but instead of taking it with a wig i'm gonna take it with a hat on and from now on i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw the wig away and i'm going to uh just wear this hat or this mitpachat from now on she said i passed the test Again, to someone who doesn't want to believe or someone that's looking for excuses, all this stuff sounds like meaningless nonsense. So the third one is the best one. Third one is, someone says, I was, I was married for five years. Five years married. What do you do when you get married? You try to have kids. That's technically the point of being married. Otherwise, it's just a roommate. Even Sarai who says, Hashem, if you don't give me a kid, I might as well be dead. A woman that can't have kids... It's a punishment. So this woman was married for five years. Five years, no kids. Doctors say it's not possible for you to have kids. Not possible. You, kids, not possible. Not possible. Decide to do what we say. Give him some advice. Follow. Do tshuva. Keep mitzvot. Basics. Day of a chupa. She got pregnant. And Baruch Hashem, there's a kid. Alive and well. Healthy and everything is good. This is this type of stuff that I see every day, Baruch Hashem. It's not me. It has nothing to do with me. Just listen to Hashem. The beauty is that Torah has the ability to save lives. Sometimes you see people, you see many stories, popular stories, where you see people that are in danger. They just had a major surgery. They're sick. They have cancer. They have some major disease. Doctor tells them they have a week to live, two weeks to live. All these doctors 
you know, have no, no care in the world about people's emotions. They tell me you have a week, you have six days, you have six and a half hours. They tell you, like, as if they own the world. But times of fear usually cause people to do major things. Fidel volunteers in the hospice center. He says everybody's religious in the hospice center. Everyone's religious. Even the atheist is religious. The guy that was atheist his whole life, he's religious in the hospice center. He knows he's about to meet the maker he didn't believe in his whole life. So sometimes people get smart and they make the right decision. And they say, okay, God, I got the point. I got the point. I'll do tshuva. And all of a sudden, the cancer disappears. All of a sudden, the disease that they had disappears. This is not one or two or three or four or ten or fifty or a hundred stories. There's many, many documented stories of real people, sometimes on video, sometimes in books, sometimes in papers, sometimes in medical records, different things that are completely unexplainable based on science, but are 100% explainable based on Torah. When you do Hashem's will, He'll do your will, meaning that if He needs to change nature for you, it's not a big deal for Him. He is nature. That's why the word God in Hebrew, one of them is Elohim. And Hateva, the nature, have the same numerical value. It's one of the hints. There is no nature being a separate entity. He is nature. So for him to change something, it's the same thing as you breathing. Under normal circumstances, the same thing. You don't have to try to breathe. You just breathe. So if you want to revive the dead, just do what Hashem says. You want to perform miracles? Start with yourself. You want major things to happen in your life? Start taking serious tshuva. Not just like the half tshuva, we just keep Shabbat, keep kosher because it's convenient for you and it's tasty. But the stuff that's hard for you, that's what you have to do. It's hard for you to be modest, that's what you have to do. It's hard for you to learn Torah an hour or two hours in the morning, an hour or two hours at night. That's what you have to do. It's hard for you to pray every day in the morning. That's what you have to do. Why? He says, Kola mitzvot. He says, all of my mitzvot, not some of them that you like. Anywhere in the Torah that Hashem says, my mitzvot, it doesn't say some of my mitzvot that you like. It always says, Kola mitzvot, all the mitzvot. Don't start making exceptions. All my mitzvot. Once you start listening to what Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, he says, listen, you have two options here. You do good, you create a good angel. You do bad, you create a bad angel. If you actually visualize what he says on a regular basis, you take this into serious consideration, on a regular basis, it's much easier to do what Hashem wants. Why? You become scared. You become scared to make these bad angels. You become scared to become one of these bad characters that the Rambam says God hates you. You become who wants to be hated by God? Even the one that hates God doesn't want God to hate him back. No one wants to be hated by God. 
But at the same token, you can't just sit there doing nothing and expecting positive things to happen. We'll finish with this, and then we'll take a small break, and then start the second part of this year in the back. There's a uh, serious Musar I learned from Rav Steinemann. Shechie. One time they wanted to uh, help him travel, to go give some shulim and, uh, to, the, to the public overseas. And he never went. Already at 90 years old, 90-something years old, now he's over 100, Baruch Hashem, but at 90 years old, he never pl- traveled on a plane or anything. So for the first time in his life, he's on a plane at 90 years old. 90, 92, something like that. And um, he goes to the machine and it beeps. It beeps. 90-year-old man. Or is he carrying a uh, machine gun? What is he carrying? What is he going to do? It's the airport, especially Israeli airport. They think everyone's a terrorist. So he takes off the jacket, he takes off this, he takes off this, goes through again. Beep, 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 beep. Again. Takes off the belt, takes off the shoes, takes off this, goes again. Beep, 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 beep. This is very embarrassing. A 90-year-old man keeps beeping. What are you going to do? You have to go through the process. Keeps taking off more and more clothes, more and more things. Eventually, he realizes, oh... I have a piece of metal in my leg from 70 years ago. I had a surgery. And I forgot about it. They had to, I broke something. They had to put a piece of metal. A screw of some kind. And then he realized this is what it, what it was. But then he started crying. And his students asked him, well, no, no, why are you crying? You passed already. They know. It's okay. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. Seventy years ago, I had a surgery to put a piece of metal in my body, and I forgot about it. Imagine when we arrive in Shemaim, and they show us all the screws and the screw-ups we made that we forgot about. And we're expecting to be judged like Moshe Rabbeinu. We're going up to Shemaim expecting Rabbi Akiva, no less. We're expecting Gan Eden. Olam Abba, it's mine. I'll give you guys some room. We're expe- we forgot all the Averot from 70 years ago. He goes, if I forgot something that's inside my body that I needed to walk, it was in his leg apparently, imagine how... They're going to show me in Shemaim what I also forgot about. Don't be one of those people that's hated and you forgot. Tshuva, it's not so hard. It's not so far from you. It's not easy, but it's not so hard. Especially when you start realizing that as you do more and more tshuva, as you get closer and closer to Hashem, you learn more and more Torah, you become a better version of you. You're a three, you can become a ten. It takes time. It takes effort. But as you get better, you start enjoying the tshuva. In the beginning, it's hard. Let's not joke ourselves. It's hard to change your behavior. It's, char- it's hard to change your activities. It's hard to change your hobbies. It's hard to change your friends. It's hard to change a lot of things. But once you start seeing a little bit of benefit in it, then you enjoy
Then all of a sudden, the fact that you're walking around modest, you start realizing, hey, you know what? It's actually classier to be a modest woman. When people look at me, they look at me with respect. They don't look at me like a piece of meat in a supermarket. When I spend my time learning Torah, I actually improve my mind that I could take something with that. I could take something from that and use it at work, use it at home, use it at different places. When I watch shows for five hours, nothing happens. I watch the show, I enjoy the show. At the end of the show, I can't do anything about it. It's the end of the show. I can't use anything. can't use it for any, any advantage whatsoever. So you start realizing that Hashem's will is really your will. You just got to get over that angel that you created that's trying to influence you to do bad things. So Bezat Hashem, now we'll take a little short break. Anyone that needs to do Arvit, do Arvit. Anyone wants to eat, eat. And then we're going to set up in the back. And Bezat Hashem, we're going to learn all night. and uh, But something completely different. And questions, answers, Sefer Dvarim. And Bezat Hashem, whatever else Hashem wants us to say. Bauch Adonai Lo'olam, Amen ve'amen. I don't really guess, I should.